Destiny City, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. You know, it's, it's better to obey, isn't it? Whenever God tells us to do something, we don't question. We just obey it. And it's, it's much better to do that because when we obey the Lord, we don't ever know exactly what God's going to do sometimes. We just really don't know. We just know that God has called us to be obedient. Has God ever told you to just give something to somebody and you just give it? You don't question God, you just give it. On the other hand, has God ever told you to give something to someone and you question God? And have you ever had regrets that you didn't follow through and do what God told you to do? Is it, am I the only one that's ever experienced that? You know, I, I think some of us have and some of us haven't. And some of us wouldn't own up to it if we did. But it's always better to obey. As a matter of fact, in 1 Samuel fifteen twenty three, Samuel says, For rebellion is as the sin of divination and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. I believe the King James Version says that, that, um, that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Well, witchcraft, rebellion, it's the same thing. You, you can't, I mean, it's a two-sided coin. It's still a coin. It's the same thing. As a matter of fact, the word as was added by the translators. Because in the original language, it says rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. It's a, it's a very serious thing. Now, what is rebellion? Rebellion is, is, is when we don't obey. We rebel. And we can rebel on the outside and we can rebel on the inside. I remember a cartoon one time of Dennis the Menace. And he's sitting in the corner and he says, I might be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> so his rebellion was rebellion of the heart. Now, this particular scripture is mentioned in reference to Saul. So we know Saul was the first king over Israel. Now, Israel had asked for a king. Was that God's choice? No. God said, I'm your king. I mean, why do you need a king? They, well, they wanted a king like what? Like all the other nations. They wanted to be like everybody else. And so, finally, God gave in and to their cries and their moanings and groanings, and he gave them a king, and he gave them what they wanted. Now, Saul was an imposing figure. The Bible says that he was a head taller than anyone else in all of Israel, and very handsome and strong. As a matter of fact, a lot of theologians believe that when David went out to fight Goliath, that it should have been Saul that was doing the fighting and not David. When Saul, when Goliath was taunting and, and Saul would have been more of a match for him than David, except that David had the power of the Holy Spirit and we know what happened there. But Saul was the people's choice for king. He was tall and handsome and, 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 and they wanted a leader to rule over them like everybody else. And so when Saul was first anointed to be king, it says that, that he was very humble. As a matter of fact, when, when Samuel went to anoint him, they couldn't find him. And he was hiding among the baggage because he was just, you know, he was just very humble. And, and I don't know if he was just humble or scared, whatever it was. But, you know, um, maybe it was a lot like I used to be. You know, I, I couldn't play football when I was in high school because I just had such an inferiority complex. When they ran up into the huddle, I thought they were talking about me, you know. So I just <laughs> couldn't do it. But here's Saul. 
And he was very humble at first. But after he had a few victories under his belt and he was firmly established as king, things began to change. You know, it'll do that to you. As we start to believe the press and everybody's, you know, telling you how great you are and all these things. And this is Saul. And, and in 1 Samuel 13, Saul had gone out and they were, they were doing their, their campaign, their war campaigns. You know, they were taking territory as God had told them to do, taking back what the enemy had taken from them and basically reestablishing some things. And so Saul is out fighting and he had sent for Samuel to come and make sacrifices for the, the armies, for the, for the armies of Israel. Well, Samuel was delayed in coming. As a matter of fact, it was seven days before he ever got back there. And so Sam, uh, Saul got tired of waiting on Samuel. And so he did something that wasn't in his authority to do. It wasn't his anointing to do this, but he did it. You know, because he had this, this thing like some of us do in the church that I'm just as anointed as you are. Well, we all are anointed for, for something. Every one of us are just as anointed as everyone else. But it's that... We are all, not all anointed for the same thing. And Saul took it upon himself to offer sacrifices for the men. So as he had, had, was offering the sacrifices, Samuel shows up. He says, what have you done? You've acted foolishly. Why did you presume that you could take up this authority upon yourself to do this? And he said, because you have done this, then God has rejected you from being the king of Israel and he has given it to a man who is after his own heart. He's given it unto David. Well, that, you know, that was just like, <laughs> he was really upset at that point. You know, he's giving it to somebody else. He's seeking for a man after his own heart. And then later on, Saul didn't get over this one too good until God told him again, you know, God will always give us another chance. And I believe God gave Saul another chance for redemption. But Saul didn't make good on it. You see, when the people of Israel were on their journey to the promised land, they had to pass through this one certain area that was inhabited by a group of people that were from the descendants of Amalek, the Amalekites. And uh, they wouldn't let them pass through. They wouldn't give them food. They wouldn't give them water. They wouldn't let them pass through. They were very hostile toward them. And God said, okay. He said, I'm going to wipe this nation out eventually. So the time came when God was going to fulfill the promise that he had made because of Amalek and because of what they had done to his people. And so he tells Saul, he says, I want you to, to get the armies together and I want you to go and I want you to wipe out the Amalekites. I, want you, I don't want you to leave anything. Go in, completely destroy them, destroy man, woman, child, sheep, goat, anything, anything that moves, just wipe it out, kill it, destroy it. Don't take any of the spoil, leave it because... It's devoted for destruction. So just wipe it out. And so Saul goes in and he takes his armies in and, and he does part of what God tells him to do. He wipes out all the men. He wipes out all the women, all the children. But he saves the best of the sheep and the cattle to bring back for spoil. I don't know if he got to feeling bad about what he had done or what. But, you know, Samuel comes and, and, and God wakes Samuel up in the middle of the night. You know what? When we do something, the Holy Spirit knows everything that we do. And I want to tell you something. The Holy Ghost is a divine tattletale. He will tell on you. And he told on Samuel. I mean, told on Saul. And God told Saul, he says, you know, I am sorry that I set Saul up as king. 
He says, I regret that I made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. Samuel then proceeded to go and confront Paul, uh, Saul, and Saul saw him coming. He said, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have carried out the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, then, then what is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the cattle that I hear? Then Saul did what most of us do when we're confronted because of our sin and disobedience. What do you think he did? He played the blame game. He played the blame game. He said, well, they brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. The rest we have utterly destroyed. So he blamed it on them. And, and you know, a lot of times when we get in trouble, that's what we do, isn't it? Well, the preacher, you know, well, he didn't preach the word like he should. Because if he did, I wouldn't be out here doing what I'm doing. <laughs> you know? We blame it on somebody else. Well, you know, somebody hurt my feelings, and I'm not going back to that church anymore. Well, what did they do? Well, they looked at me wrong. I just don't like the way they look at me. So I'm not going back there anymore. So we, we blame it on somebody else. Well, that's, what's, that's what Saul did. And then Samuel says, wait. And let me tell you what the Lord said last night, Saul. And Saul speaks, and he says, he says speak. And he says, is it not true... Though you were little in your own eyes, you were made the head of the tribes of Israel. And the Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go. What did he tell him to do? Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are exterminated. And when, when, why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but rushed upon the spoil and did evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul says, I did obey the voice of the Lord and went upon the mission on which the Lord sent me and have brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But some of the people took some of the spoil, sheep and oxen, and the choice of these, of these things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Now, God was after obedience from Saul. He wasn't after compromise. And they thought, well, if we can compromise this thing, maybe we can slip a few of these into our stalls if we bring them back and we offer up some sacrifices to the Lord and appease him, then he'll be okay with what we've done. But God was not after that. Then Samuel goes on and he says, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, what does he say? To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as iniquity and idolatry. And because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. God wants obedience. He demands it. Is it law? Many today would suggest that to obey is demanding that we live under the law. If we demand obedience to God. Well, there is a law written in our hearts that demands obedience. When God writes his law upon our hearts, he demands obedience. He says, if, you don't, if, if you're not going to uh, respond to me as your Lord, then don't call me Lord. Don't say to me, Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I tell you to do. You see, he wants obedience, pure and simple. 
Now, obedience, the partial obedience is not obedience, is it? Partial obedience is not obedience. Let me ask you this. If you took your car down to Sam's Car Wash and you paid them the astronomical prices that they charge to wash your car, and you expected it to be done a certain way, and you expected all the wheel bright and the tire shine and the wax and all of these things, and they roll your car out and all they've done is just skim over it with the washer, would you be satisfied? Why? Because they didn't do what they were supposed to do. God wants obedience from us. And obedience is not the commandment of the law so much as it is the commandment of the heart. Jesus said this in John 14. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So it's a commandment of love. When we obey him, we're fulfilling the royal law of love toward God. It simply says that he's our Lord. Lord is the word kurios. Everybody say kurios. K-U-R-I-O-S. Kurios. You know what it means? It means that he is the supreme authoritative ruler of my past, my present, and my future. That that I was, that that I am, and that that I will always be. He's supreme ruler over everything. He is supreme authority. That's what Lord means. We don't understand the concept of lordship so much today, do we? Because, you know, we have our little bumper stickers that say question authority and we have all of these things. And, and so we, we don't want to obey. We want God sometimes to obey us. Isn't that a strange and foreign thought? We think that we can set the bar here and God is supposed to lower himself to our standards. No, God has set the bar here, and he expects us to rise to his standards. The law, his, his word is the law of God. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. He's asking for obedience from us. You see, Saul had everything going in his favor and, and, until he made some certain character decisions that hijacked his destiny. We are here to help you find and fulfill your God-given destiny. But the only way that that can be done is when you submit yourself to the authority of God and to the authority that God places over you. That's the only way it can be done in order for you to reach and fulfill your God-given destiny. One thing you won't find in the kingdom of God is lone rangers. You won't find them. Not in the kingdom. Because we are a body... Of believers. The church is the body with Christ as the head, and each one of us are joints that are fitly joined together by the Spirit of God, and each joint supplies the need of the other joint. That's the way that it works. That's not the way I designed it, that's the way God designed it. What happens when we take a body and we pull it apart? It becomes dead and lifeless with no function. But when that body is together and each joint is is fitly joined together the way that it was designed to be joined together, it can function. It can do the things that God created it to do. And that's what God has done for each one of us. But it can only be done as we obey the voice of the one who created us. 
So God is after obedience. Rebellion is at the basis of the lie that we don't have to obey God. Satan has always relied on half-truths and he's deluded theology to deceive and destroy the faith of God's people. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, he says, But the Spirit explicitly explicitly says that in the later times, the times we're living in right now, I believe is what he's talking about, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the destruction of demons by means of hypocrisy of liars seared with their own conscience, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. So we're living in those days, folks, when the church is becoming deluded with half-truths, untruths, and outright lies. When we've rejected the truth of God in favor of a lie. Every day, it seems like, or every week, there's another abomination, I mean, denomination that has rejected the authority of God's word and thought that they could set their own standards within the church pertaining to certain issues of life. Gay marriage, abortion, these kind of things. And I'm not going to get on my soapbox. I could very easily. Because God hates these things. He hates it. It is an abomination. As I said last week, what is an abomination? It's a stench in the nostrils. And that's the way God views these things. And when we are disobedient to the voice of the Father, then we are giving lip service rather than humble obedience. Paul told Timothy, he said, In the last days there will be many having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such do what? Turn away from. Turn away from them. Have nothing to do with them. Churches are full today of people that are hearing half-truths and believing it. Getting sucked into the philosophy of man rather than the truth of God. When God is demanding that we are obedient to Him. One day we're going to have to stand and we're going to have to give an account before one person. We have to give an account to God. Saul didn't have to give an account to his men, did he? He had to give an account to God. What was the cost of Saul's rebellion? The kingdom was torn away from him. His, his destiny was hijacked. God would have firmly established him forever had he been obedient to the things that God had called him to. But God knows the end from the beginning and already knew that it was going to happen, didn't he? Because Saul had, I mean, David had already been anointed to be king even before Saul, before Saul acted the way that he did. So God knows what's going on. But, but understand this, in Matthew 21, 28 through 32, Jesus said this, he said, But what do you think? A man had two sons. And he came to the first, and he son, he said, Son, go to work today in the vineyard. And he answered and said, I will, sir, but he did not go. Think about that for a minute. He said, I'll do it, but he didn't. Yeah. Give me some time. I'm on Facebook right now. <laughs> and he came to the second and said the same thing. But he answered and said, I will not. I don't want to get out of bed. (laughs) But afterward, he regretted it and went. Which of the two did the will of the father? What do you think? The latter. The one said, I won't, but he did. He did the will. He obeyed. He regretted it. Now, what does that say? 
Well, there are many of us who live part of our life in rebellion against God. I lived my life in total rebellion against God until I was 20 years of age. I mean, I didn't want anything to do with God, didn't want anything to do with the people of God. Just leave me alone, let me party, let me do my thing. Until God got a hold of my heart and he changed things inside of me. Then when things changed inside of me, something inside of me clicked. No longer did I want to rebel against God. No longer did I want to run away from him. I wanted to run to him. I want to obey him. I want to do what God has called me to do. Because therein lies my eternal destiny. And that's your destiny. When we walk in obedience to God, that's where we find the good things that God has for us. When we're obedient to him. You know, David was a man after God's own heart. Was he perfect? No, but he was repentant. He was definitely repentant. When he sinned against God with Bathsheba, the first thing he did, you know, when, when he was triggered or when he was, uh, when he was cornered by Nathan, the prophet was, he went to the temple and he got on his face before God and he repented. And read Psalm 51, man, it's pretty intense the way David repented before God and just laid his heart out before the Lord. You know, that's what God wants from us. You know, he understands sometimes when we do some bonehead things. Anybody ever done anything bonehead? You know what I'm talking about? Just do something really totally foolish. And, 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 and then you're triggered about it. And then what do you do? Do you go out and do something else boneheaded, more boneheaded than the last thing? No, I hope not. I, I, I pray that you're wise enough to repent. To have a change of heart and mind about what you did. Not that you're just sorry about it. There's one thing to be sorry and go out and do it again. That's just plain out stupid. You know, but when we are, when we're repentant in our heart, yes, we have remorse for what we did, but we turn away from it and we turn toward God. And we humble ourselves before him and we repent, we get right with God. Then we walk in obedience. David was a man after God's own heart. And I love what it says in Acts chapter 13 about David. David, it says that, that, that David fulfilled the purpose of God for his time, and then he died. I love that. It's a very simple statement. But David fulfilled the purpose of God for his time, and then he died. I wish that that could be said about me when, when I'm laid in the ground, that Don Vest fulfilled the purpose of God for his time. He fulfilled his destiny, and then he died. When he was done, it was over. He's in the hole, and he's just waiting on, on Jesus to come. He did what he was supposed to do. I pray that that testimony could be said about me. It was said about David. I thought it was pretty awesome, you know, that David fulfilled the purpose of God for his life. I like what it says in Psalm, um, I believe it's Psalm 72, that David shepherded the people of God with integrity. He was a man after God's own heart. He stayed in tune with God. Was he perfect? No. David did some really bonehead things, didn't he? I mean, some of the things he did not only hurt David, it hurt his family, hurt the kingdom. Thousands of people died for one of the things he did when he numbered the people and, and, and God sent the death angel and he just went to work. And before you know it, you know, David's like, no, don't do that to them. If you're going to destroy somebody, destroy me. He says, that's the heart of God. It was the heart of God. But David did some things that he shouldn't have done. And so do you. So do I. There's some things that I do sometimes and, and I'm not always perfect in obedience to God. I wish I was. I wish I could say, you know, ever since I gave my life to Jesus, I've walked in perfect obedience to God. Because if I did, I'd be a self-righteous nut, wouldn't I? I made mistakes. We all do. But one thing 
that God has helped me to learn to do is when I do make a mistake, not to blame it on somebody else. It's me and me alone that sins. I did it, not somebody else. My wife didn't make me do it. My kids didn't make me do it. My church didn't make me do it. I did it on my own. So I have to bear the responsibility of it. But obedience says that that we take responsibility and we move forward. Not blame others. Matthew 7, 21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but what? He who does what? The will of my Father who is in heaven. You know, we might even pull up a Saul response and say, I, I was saving the best to offer as a sacrifice. God doesn't want our sacrifices. He wants us. He wants our heart. He wants our heart. And we can't placate God. Don't think that you can give God something in the place of obedience. When he's called us to be obedient. He doesn't want your sacrifices. Understand this. Psalm 24 and 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and they that dwell therein. What is that saying? It says God owns it all. He don't need anything we got. But he wants us to be obedient to him when he asks us to give it. What is it a test of? God's inability? No. It's a test of our obedience. As to whether we will do what God has called us to do. If God asks us to do something, don't you think that he can get it done himself? But he wants you to be obedient. He wants to give you the joy of experiencing the fruit of what you've done. He wants you to enjoy looking back and seeing that I made a difference. God used me to make a difference. We, um, years ago, we, I was a part of a, a ministry called Teen Action Council. It was kind of tacky, T-A-C, you know. But we had a saying, and we always tell the kids, go mad. You know, first time we'd tell them that, kind of look at us like, what? We'd say, go mad. And they'd be like, go mad? Yeah, go make a difference. Go make a difference. Every one of you can make a difference. You might not think that what you do will really make a difference. But if God tells you to do something, you might be standing in the gym. You might be standing in the grocery store. You might be waiting on your car to get washed at the car wash. I don't know what you might be doing. But God may lay it upon you. He might say, speak to that person on my behalf. Or that person just needs a hug. I remember one night I was standing in the grocery store and, and, and it was Christmas time and, and I was just, you know, I was just feeling the love of Jesus. And this guy was standing behind me. And I just turned around and gave him a hug. And he looked at me like, like Pepe Le Pew, you know. I said, I love you, man. He's like, Okay. But he needed that, obviously. I needed it. One of us did. But I just wanted to do that. So, you know, people need to be loved. And sometimes my, God might want you to be the person to say to that person, I love you. I care about you. I pray for you. You know, I, I want you to understand this too, folks. You're making a difference here on this campus. Not just with the students but with the faculty as well. 
one of the one of the the custodians this morning was was getting ready to leave, and as they were getting ready to leave, he came over to me, and they'll always ask me, "How are you doing?" Because they know what I'm going to say. So I'm blessed with the best, no stress, and highly favored. They want to hear me say it, so they asked me. <laughs> so I said it, and he started to walk to the truck, and he comes back, and he says, "Preach, I need you to pray for me." So I'm just going through some stuff. So it was an opportunity. So I just put my arm around him and prayed for him. And it just felt so good to be able to love on that man and show him the love of Jesus. So that's what God's called us to do. And if we're obedient, if we're obedient to the things that God has, that might be the simplest thing in the world. And <laughs> I tell this story a lot of times, and, and it, involves, it involves Jeremy, but, and he might want to hit me when I get done. But <laughs> we were down in Jamaica, and this was his first trip down to Jamaica. And uh, there was a kid that, that came that I had met the year before. I went a year before they went, before I took anybody with me. I, I went down and took a few of the older kids, and I took some of the younger kids. And um, I met this kid, and I'd given him a Bible the year before. So the next time he saw me, man, he was, he was there, you know. And he followed us around. And, and so we're in our room, and, 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 and I'm looking at his feet, and he's got on a pair of flip-flops, and I'm thinking, this look really familiar. I said, I like your flip-flops. Jeremy gave them to me. And, uh, you know, then later on as we were, we were down in Sam Sharp Square, this huge area there in, front of, in, in the heart of the city, we were doing a, an outreach, and we were getting ready to leave. And we had these T-shirts that, they, that all of our students had worn so we could kind of know each other. And one of the kids there that was just really destitute, he had nothing. I barely had any clothes on. And we're getting ready to leave, and and uh, Jeremy gets on the bus, and he didn't have a shirt on. I thought, what's he trying to prove? <laughs> and I'm like, where's your shirt, son? He wouldn't say. And I kept pressing, and finally one of the guys poked me on the shoulder, said, look, I look out, and there says that kid, he's got on Jeremy's shirt. And I felt about that high. <laughs> I felt, I never felt more proud in my life, I think, than I felt at that moment, that he would take the shirt off his back and give it to somebody else, because obviously the Lord told him to do it, and he did it. And I was just so proud at that moment, you know, and I'm like, you know, he's learning. He learned some things. And Jeremy, you can hit me later if you want to. But uh, I don't mean to embarrass you, but that was just such a cool story. But obedience. Obedience. He wants our obedience. That's what he wants. And it might be the simplest thing that God asks us to do. But as we begin to walk in obedience and, and we obey the simple things and the small things that God tells us to do, then he will ask us to step out and do something larger. But until God knows that he can trust us with the small things, he will never entrust us with the larger things. Until he knows that he can put things into our hands and bless us with it, that we won't use it for our own self, but we'll be obedient to him. And that's about as far as you're going to go until you learn. You see, the kingdom of God is expansive. 
And God's not cheap. He's extravagant. And he has so much. But when we learn to work in cooperation with God, and you folks are learning it, I want to tell you something. I am just blown away to see what God has done through you people. And folks around the world are beginning to know about Destiny City because of you. Because you're willing to allow me to go and do what God's called me to do. And allow others to go and do what God has called us to do. But that's an obedience on your part too. You could sit back and grumble and complain. You know, pastor, he just leaves and goes out of the country. and blah, blah, blah. You know, but you don't. You're obedient. And that's, that's, that is a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. And I'm thankful for it. But God doesn't want our sacrifices. He wants our obedience. And it is better to obey, isn't it? It is better to obey. Sometimes our obedience requires sacrifice. But it's never a sacrifice when we give it to him. Because he's got so much more waiting for us. Amen? Amen. When we understand that it's his anyway. He never puts anything to our hand that belongs to us. It just belongs to him. So we just do what God tells us to with it. Then we're happy. Because we don't have anything holding us back. Anything holding us down. It's all his. Amen. And obedience is fun. It's more fun to obey. A whole lot more fun to obey. Because when you don't, then you feel the heat of it. You hijack your own destiny. Amen. You've been listening to Destiny City, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. For more information, visit us online at destinycity.org.